Welcome to a special Easter Sunday podcast, and there's no better way to start than to proclaim the good news. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Many thanks to our musician Belinda for providing this Easter piano piece and the closing organ piece. Let's call ourselves to worship.
Well, the scripture lesson today, to no one's surprise, is a version of the resurrection story. I've chosen to read it from Matthew, although you can also find it in all of the other three Gospels as well. Listen to this wonderful story, the story of Easter morning. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord.
The story of the resurrection is a central part of our faith. And at least once every year, we need to dwell in that story long enough to truly understand its importance. Jesus rose from the dead and saved all of humankind. Jesus rose from the dead and eliminated death forever. Jesus rose from the dead and taught us and showed us that death is not the end. It is the beginning of eternal life. But it's so much more than Jesus offering himself up in death to be raised from the tomb, to teach us that an empty tomb is for all humankind. It is so much more than a story about all humankind. It's also a story about each one of us, one after another. Begin with the women. The women who went to the tomb were at their own time in the first century of Jerusalem held down by the own, their own caste structure, their position in society. Women could not hold property. Women could not have money. Women had no rights and privileges outside of their connection with a man. If a wife lost her husband, either the brother of her husband needed to take her in or she became a widow. And as we all know in the gospel stories, widows are often the least among all the people who gather at the synagogue or the temple. Women were held down by their position in life, and yet here came these women to the tomb, doing what women would normally do, bringing their spices and their herbs and their oils to anoint a body that had to hastily be put in the tomb on Good Friday because there wasn't time before they could do the anointing they needed to do. The sun went down, the Sabbath had begun, these women had to wait. They had to wait until early sunrise Sunday morning when the Sabbath had ended. And when they arrived at the tomb to do what would have been an ordinary kind act of love to anoint the body of their friend, Jesus, they found a piece of news that they simply couldn't keep to themselves. The angel or the messenger who was at the tomb made it clear that they needed to go down from this place. They needed to tell the disciples, tell anyone they met, that Jesus had risen from the dead. But how could they do that? They were women in a society that did not value women in that way. They were women in a caste structure, a social structure, in which their words would be taken as an idle tale. They were women who had no rights and privileges, and yet when the news became apparent to them that Jesus had risen from the dead, they changed from women who were downtrodden in first century Jerusalem to women of the resurrection. Once they were just women, but now they were women of the resurrection, and they ran down from the tomb and they told everyone, all the disciples, he is risen, we have seen the risen Lord. Resurrection had changed them. How about Peter? Peter, a liar and a fearful denier? You know the story. Peter had an opportunity to stand up when Jesus was on trial. He was outside the courtroom, and several people asked him, Aren't you one of them? Aren't you one that came with the Galilean? And he vehemently denied it, not once, not twice, but three times. He was a liar, and he was a fearful denier. And yet, this same Peter, after he left the tomb, when he went in to see that the cloths were laid aside, 
and that Jesus had risen from the dead, this fearful denier, this horrible liar, went on to be the head of the church in Jerusalem, and by some standards, the rock of the church on which Jesus built the church we now enjoy so greatly. He was changed. The resurrection changed him. Once he was just a person, a liar, a denier, but then he became a resurrected person, and his whole life was changed. How about Thomas? Thomas, the one that we mistakenly called Doubting Thomas. He was a doubter, but I dare say he probably just expressed what all of us would feel. When Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to the disciples in a locked room, Thomas was not present. He was out running an errand, perhaps, or back home with his family, no one knows. But he wasn't there. And when the other disciples told Thomas, We have seen the risen Lord, Thomas couldn't believe. He was so steeped in logic. He was so needing empirical evidence. He couldn't make that leap that faith always demands to leap beyond his logic, beyond the empirical evidence, to believe in something he had not seen. No, I don't believe, he said, until I can touch the wounds in his hands and feet and side, I will not believe. Well, Jesus accommodated him, and the resurrection came home to Thomas. For Jesus appeared a second time, and this time he invited Thomas to come and touch the wounds in his hands and his side. And Thomas knelt on the ground and said, O oh Lord, I believe. Thomas was once a doubter, only defined by logic and empirical evidence. He couldn't make that leap that faith always demands. And then he was touched by resurrection. Once he was a doubter. But then he became a person of the resurrection, and his whole life changed. How about all the disciples? Go beyond Peter and Thomas. Go to all the other disciples, a, a small, pitiful band of lesser men. What could they do in the world that did not want to hear the good news that they had? Before Jesus touched them with resurrection, where do we find them? Locked in a room in Jerusalem, fearing for their lives. Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. He's been tried and convicted in a mock trial, and he's been hung on a cross, and he's dead, and they saw him laid in the tomb. They're afraid. They're absolutely petrified. So they lock themselves in a room, and they're not coming out. What would become of the church of Christ? How would it be spread throughout the world from this small, pitiful band of lesser men? And yet... When they were touched by a resurrected Christ, when the resurrection came and touched them, they were changed. Look what happened. The world was introduced to Christianity, one person, one heart at a time, all starting with just this small pitiful band of men. Something changed. Once they were just people, but then they became people of the resurrection. I'm telling you, this resurrection story is so much more than resurrection for everyone, so much more than the world being saved, although it is certainly that. It is also each of us being touched by the resurrection and each of us changing. Once we were just people, but then we became people of the resurrection. Once we were held down 
by our position in society. What can we do? We don't have any power. We don't have any money. We can't tell the good news. But then, like the women, we were set free because we became people of the resurrection. Once we were fearful, we would deny him in public settings. If our neighbors asked, we would downplay how important Jesus was and his resurrection in our lives. We were once people who were liars and fearful deniers, but then, just like P Peter, we were touched by the resurrection and we were changed. Once we were just people, but then we were people of the resurrection. Once we were like Thomas. Only logic could define us. Only empirical evidence would teach us anything. And although logic and empirical evidence is one of the great things in 21st century life in which we live, we cannot take that great leap of faith without faith itself. We have to leap beyond logic and empirical evidence. Once we were people who were defined only by what we could see and touch, and then we became people of the resurrection. Once we were like the disciples, overwhelmed by the enormity of all the things that happened in the world. What could we do to make a difference? How could we do anything to change the world? And then we became people of the resurrection. I'm telling you, this resurrection changes people one person at a time, one heart at a time, and it goes way beyond the salvation of all of humankind it is being touched by the resurrection one person at a time, no longer held down by society, no longer afraid to tell who we believe in, no longer only relying just on logic, no longer believing that it's an overwhelming task that cannot be done like all those who have come before us. Once we were people, just people, but now we are people of the resurrection. There is a word that has been gifted to us, a very ancient word. The word is hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's actually a word in two parts from the ancient Hebrew. The first part, hallel, means praise. Praise in every shout of the word. Praise. And the last part, yah, is a part of the word yahweh, which means God. So the word itself, hallelujah, simply means praise to God. Hallelujah, praise to God. And when we celebrate Easter Sunday, every time we celebrate Easter Sunday, when we celebrate that once we were just people and now we are people of the resurrection, there is only one word that can establish and set us free to teach us and show us how grateful we need to be to our God. That word is quite simply an ancient gifted word that's been given to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs>
Happy Easter, my friends. The service here is ended. May we go in peace. Amen.